Wrestling fans, are you ready? Yes, 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 yes. For the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world, uh, let's get ready to rumble! It may be because he's Swiss, I don't know, in terms of European style. I can take you to Suplex City tonight, bitch. Can you say the alphabet backwards? Walk and whip your ass backwards. You're not funny and nobody likes you. This ain't Monday Night Raw! This fight's right! It's Wrestle Rant Radio. Welcome back, folks, to the final edition of WrestleRant Radio on Tuesdays here today for July 19th, 2016, only hours away from the first WWE draft in over five years. Cannot wait for it. We're talking all about it, including Monday's Raw and Battleground predictions for a loaded show this Thursday, WrestleRant Radio's re-debut, Thursday night starting July 21st, but first... As I said, our last historic show right here on Tuesdays, we're giving you part two of the exclusive podcast with that GNAP's ring wrap, John Knapp, on the Twitter. Check him out. Uh, we talked about part one last week, the full career retrospective of Raw versus SmackDown, SmackDown versus Raw, General Manager Mode 2007. We talked all about our first seven years in the game right, right here in the podcast last week. We're giving you part two. We sat down over the weekend for an hour and a half, an even longer uh, even more extensive podcast than last week, and better quality too. This time we were sitting down and not in a car, so you can check out part two here today. We're talking about the complete title history, best feuds, moments, and memories of our SmackDown versus Raw 2007 General Manager mode from the past five years as we celebrate five years of beast booking in SVR 07. No better time too with Raw and SmackDown now going head to head. Brand versus Brand, Mick Foley is the new SmackDown, or rather the new Raw General Manager, Daniel Bryan, the new SmackDown General Manager. Uh, the timing of this whole thing could not be any better, with the Brand split going to effect tonight live on SmackDown, as SmackDown goes live on Tuesdays moving forward, and the WWE draft occurs in mere hours. So with that being said, as I mentioned earlier, we talk all about that Raw and Battleground and everything else going on in the world of wrestling this upcoming Thursday for WrestleRant Radio's re-debut on Thursday, starting this Thursday and July 21st in just 48 hours, so be sure to check that out. But in the meantime, be sure to listen to part two of the exclusive podcast with John Knapp, my beast booking partner in crime. Enjoy, folks. All right, welcome back, folks, to part two of this exclusive two-part podcast with myself, Graham Giesson Matthews, and my fellow beast booker, the other half of the bookings, John Napolitano. John, at GNAP's Ring Wrap on the Twitter page. What are you doing, John? Graham, how, how, how are you doing, John? How you Graham, doing? we are in the middle of Saugerties, New York right now. We are camping at Woodstock. And, you know, we're having a good time. This is this is one of the multiple times, many times, that we've done this. Actually, five years ago, as we were referencing in our first part of this podcast, we were here doing some beast booking. And now we're back in our old stomping grounds doing the same thing. It's good shit. It's good shit, like you said, doing some SVR 07, doing some games of ping pong, moon bounce tomorrow, hopefully, moon bounce rematch. We went go-karting today, swimming, you know, all the all the fun stuff. It's all more, the fun stuff. It's more of a hotel than it really is camping. Really? It's, it's really an, a weekend-long festivity. A sure, week, sure, sure. of course. And uh, they provide Wi-Fi, so, you know, we're not oh. we're not roughing it out here in the woods. <laughs> but Not but, living in any tents, by the way, though. <laughs> definitely having a good time out here in Woodstock, bringing you part two. 
of this two-part special on SmackDown vs. Raw 2007 General Manager Board. And I hope all of you enjoyed our first part. I mean, we put a lot of work into that as we, we drove to Buffalo Wild Wings. <laughs> For UFC 200, mm-hmm. which was pretty good, by the way. Brock Lesnar. Great fight between Brock Lesnar and Mark Hunt. His brother, Mike Hunt, was very, <laughs> very happy to watch that match. That um, joke will never get old. I, I will just, I I gotta throw that out there. <laughs> All right. But uh, good shit. Brief plug, by the way. When we were here two years ago, we talked about it here on the podcast. We did a two-part episode of WrestleRant Radio that summer. I'm I sure remember, you remember. I remember. Uh, we talked all about our experience there. The Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame is no longer in existence no. here in the New York, Unfo- Amsterdam area, unfortunately. unfortunately. They have since moved to Wichita Falls, Texas. So any of our peeps out there in Wichita Falls, Texas, or in the mm-hmm. Texas area just in general, even if you're on the other side of the state, check it out. Great people, great you know memorabilia, all that yep. shit. If you're a wrestling fan... I love it. Pro so. Wrestling Hall of Fame. Used to be in Amsterdam, New York, now in Wichita Falls, Texas. Great stuff there. Some great memories. We were there five years ago. We were there two years ago. Not this year, but hopefully if we take a trip to Texas one of these years. <laughs> if we're ever in the area. We're at, if we're ever in the uh, the Lone Star State, yes. we'll certainly make it, a visit, make it a trip down to uh, the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame. So that being said, John, what are we here to talk about today? We are here to talk about the second half, phase two of SmackDown vs. Raw 2007. I hope, now like I said earlier, I hope you all enjoyed the first part. I hope you were able to follow along. I know when Graham put out the YouTube video uh, earlier this week, it was a lot easier when you were looking at the title history and listening to what we were saying. But the second part, and I said this at the end of part one, the second part is without a doubt, you know, superior part one. And I mean, that's not that's not hard for me to say. The second half of our booking in SmackDown vs. Raw 2007 has been phenomenal. Absolutely, absolutely. So, like John said, part two here, a lot like part one, will be going up on the Tuesday, next Tuesday. That's going to be July 9th, the day of the WWE draft. is July 19th, excuse you. July 19th, sorry. July 9th is when the first part we recorded. July 19th, that Tuesday, it's going up the final WrestleRant Radio ever on Tuesday. So it's a historic episode we're hosting here today. Then on Thursday, we go back to, or we go, you know, we're starting on Thursdays for WrestleRant Radio. But yeah, so this is going up on Tuesday. The uh, YouTube video should be going up on Wednesday or Thursday yeah. with the documented title history, a lot like the video that you just plugged as well. So check that out if you haven't already. But at any rate, um, where we left off, if you have no idea what we're talking about right now, check out part one, a little over an hour in length, for the first seven years of our SmackDown vs. Raw 2007 general manager mode for the PlayStation 2. Great game, great times, great memories, awesome feuds, awesome opponents, all that great shit. We're breaking it down right now. So we're not going to go through the... Actually, you want to run down all the WWE champions we've quickly, had? Quickly, quickly. We'll do it very quickly. Quickly. We're not doing like a synopsis. We're just literally listing our WWE champions. Let we'll, me scroll up We'll make it bit. fun for you to listen to. We won't just say names, you know. We'll give you that little spin, that creative flair that we bring to every podcast. There we go, of course. You want to go back and forth? Yeah, sure. So kicking things off in our very first year, our very first WWE champion of SmackDown vs. Raw 2007, the inaugural WWE champion crowned on Monday Night Raw of April 1st, 2001, was the rated R superstar, Edge. Kurt Angle wins the belt for the the very first time of the subsequent pay-per-view backlash only mere weeks later. And then Randy Orton on an episode of Raw during the summer, actually in July, takes the title from Kurt Angle. And we're starting, by the way, in 2001. Yes. I forgot to mention yes. that. We are starting in year 101. So right after that, Chris Benoit takes the title in the first ever WWE Championship Elimination Chamber match at Unforgiven. He holds that strap for about six months until Edge reclaims it at Backlash. And only mere months later does he lose in another triple threat match at Vengeance to one Randy Orton who becomes a two-time WWE champion. And then a surprise WWE champion, someone we were not expecting to ever hold the strap, 
Umaga wins it a lot like Chris Benoit did in the Elimination Chamber at Unforgiven 2002. To continue that theme at WrestleMania, Ken Kennedy, after winning the Royal Rumble, knocks off Umaga to become the new WWE Champion. Ken Kennedy does not hold it for long as the game Triple H beats him at Vengeance for his very first WWE Championship. And this is one really the trifecta kind of kicks in that three Bermuda Triangle-like angle. Batista mm-hmm. defeats Triple H inside the Elimination Chamber mirror Ron Slater at Unforgiven to win his premier WWE title. But Triple H wins it right back at Taboo Tuesday. In a triple threat match with John Cena as well, as well, pinning John Cena. And it's only a couple weeks later that Batista wins the belt back from Triple H, beating him in a one-on-one match at Survivor Series to win the belt, champ- to win the belt back. But then we set up a great match at WrestleMania, John Cena versus Batista, and John Cena comes out on top. Four years into the game, John Cena wins his first WWE Championship at WrestleMania. His Cinderella story ends up back. Last Triple H becomes the first and only up to that point three-time WWE Champion beating John Cena. But then we bring in one Mick Foley, who defeats Triple H at SummerSlam with The Rock as the special guest referee to win his very first WWE Championship. His Cinderella story is also cut short, comes to an abrupt end at Unforgiven when he loses it in the WWE Championship. Unforgiven Elimination Chamber match is what it was to one Bobby Lashley. And Bobby Lashley would never win that title back since then, but even worse, the very next night, our Mr. Money in the Bank, Carlito, who's a lot like Alberto Del Rio in our universe, cashes in and takes a strap from Bobby Lashley. In his first ever title defense, he drops the championship to Batista. But Carlito would not make the same mistake. He held that title for a long, long time after that. It was actually December to June, six months in our game, that he would hold on to that strap until he lost it to Chris Benoit at Vengeance. A triple threat match involving Benoit, another unnamed competitor. I, forgot to, I think it was Eddie Guerrero, but it might have been someone else. Uh, Chris Benoit, another participant in Carlito, triple threat match. Benoit becomes champion, loses the belt. Very The very next couple weeks to Carlito, who becomes a three-time WWE champion. Yep, Carlito won that title on Raw, and he held that until Unforgiven in the Elimination Chamber when The Rock won his very first WWE championship. In the SummerSlam rematch at Taboo Tuesday, Randy Orton beats The Rock to become a three-time WWE champion. Kurt Angle, then in a triple threat match between Randy Orton, Kurt Angle, and Rey Mysterio, wins the title at Survivor Series. Rey Mysterio finally captures the gold in a 60-minute Iron Man match against Kurt Angle to win his first WWE title at the Royal Rumble in January of 2006. So Rey Mysterio takes the title into WrestleMania and defends against Batista. Batista, now a two-time WrestleMania main eventer, wins this year and beats Rey Mysterio for his fourth WWE Championship. And up to that point, no one held the WWE Championship longer than Batista, who holds the belt, who holds the belt for a whopping seven months, losing the championship finally in a 60-minute Iron Man match as well to John Cena at Taboo Tuesday, November 26, 2006. But, sorry. but for the first time, our first once-in-a-lifetime match, John Cena loses the WWE Championship to The Rock at Survivor Series just three weeks later, and Ro- The Rock becomes a two-time WWE Champion. Matt Hardy cashes in the Money in the Bank briefcase, wasting no time in cashing that all ultimate opportunity the very next night on Raw to win his first WWE title. But he wouldn't hold on to it for long as John Cena would invoke his rematch clause at New Year's Revolution, excuse me, and become a three-time champ himself. In one of the greatest angles today, Kurt Angle, on the last day of his expiring contract, beats Cena to capture the WWE title at WrestleMania in Chicago in March of 2007. So then after that, the title is vacated as Kurt Angle left the WWE with the WWE Championship, and at Backlash, John Cena Beats William Regal, I believe it was, to capture his fourth WWE Championship. But don't forget Kurt Angle, who was also out of action, but still the 
uncrowned WWE champion. William Regal, who also at this time was the Raw general manager, knocks off Cena finally at vengeance with some help from Finley to win his first WWE title while also, as you mentioned, Kurt Angle is still the WWE champion. Then John Cena wins it back in the Elimination Chamber, was it, at Unforgiven? Yes, yeah, so to kind of fill in the gap, so Angle comes back, that at the Midsummer's Nightmare, July, in his hometown, July of 2007. He's still WWE champion, as is William Regal. John Cena gets another shot as well in that triple threat match at... SummerSlam. So Regal loses the belt at SummerSlam, technically. Angle, quote-unquote, retains mm -hmm. and is the undisputed WWE champion. But as you mentioned... John Cena wins it at Unforgiven. The first ever five-time WWE champion. And in a WrestleMania, WrestleMania rematch at Taboo Tuesday, Kurt Angle beats Cena to win back the belt to becoming four-time WWE champion. But the title's playing a little bit of hot potato here as John Cena wins at Survivor Series just weeks later to capture a sixth WWE championship. And that's where we left off. So a quick recap for all the details, greatest feuds, memories, matches, everything, opponents. It's all in the first part of the podcast. Check it out either on the uh, initial episode of WWE's, uh, sorry, WrestleRant Radio from last Tuesday or the video on the YouTube channel. So basically, that was a proper place to end off, I believe, John, just because at that point in time, so we got to about early 2000, and we'll talk about John Cena's reign in a second, but once it got to like mid-2008, June 08, July of 08, we stopped playing mm -hmm. for like a solid year and a half. Not like a couple weeks, not a couple months, and by this point, it was like May, June of 2013 in reality, and we just kind of lost interest. And at this point, it's not like, oh, John Cena was a terrible champion, like this is a lot like real life or anything. We just, I don't know what it was. We just kind of lost our desire to book. I think the creative spark had left us. I mean, you had mentioned that you left for college that fall. Yes. So it was, it had become a lot harder to play the game because as we alluded to earlier, back before you left for college and you were staying in North Haven, Connecticut, only a mere miles from Hamden, Connecticut, where I live, uh, we were seeing each other every two weeks, or every other week, really. Pretty much. Every other week, every other weekend, I was I was at your, where you were staying at uh, in North Haven, and uh, so we were playing this game like crazy, but once you went off to college, it was a lot harder to play, but I think that creative spark also left us as well. It wouldn't be until December of 2014. A whole year and a half later. That we would pick this game up back again, and this is kind of where we separate the two halves of... Uh, us playing this game because I think that the second half was a lot more creative, a lot more fun, and uh, I think it, it proved to be a better product the second half. So that's what we're going to get into tonight. By that point, we were older, we were wiser, we were more motivated, yep. and that was when, as you said, our creative juices really started to kick in, yeah. so I'm excited to talk about it. Great classic exchange that I got to bring up, by the way. So what do you want to do? Well, I have the PS2. Graham, you have the fucking PS2? Yeah, well, I don't know. I, I brought it literally every time it went over to your house by that point for the last year and a half. I didn't see you too much at that point because, like you said, I was in school. You started school that fall as well the following year. I still brought it over just out of habit mm -hmm. for the past three years that we had been doing it. So why don't we book? Okay, I guess we'll book. So yeah. we kind of kicked off. Well, we kind of picked up where we left off. And that was John Cena as the longest reigning still to this day WWE champion in our SmackDown vs. Raw 07 GM mode history. Uh, John Cena held the championship for 10 long months. And just to catch us up to speed here, so he beat Kurt Angle like we talked about. From that point forward, he knocked off the Rock and Kurt Angle in the WrestleMania main event yep. in 2008, retaining the title by pinning Kurt Angle in that WrestleMania main event after the Rock came back for a few months. 
He knocked off Rob Van Dam at Vengeance to retain his title. He beat Mr. Kennedy, his former Fortune tag team partner, at SummerSlam and Unforgiven. And it was only the very next night that his reign came to an end, John, at the hands of... One Matt Hardy. Who little, I, believe, I was going to say a little case of deja vu there. Yep, because I believe Matt Hardy cashed in his Money in the Bank briefcase, which was similar to Carlito cashing in his Money in the Bank briefcase, but also Matt Hardy cashing his Money in the Bank briefcase earlier, correct? That's what I mean, like a case of yes, deja vu, okay, exactly. Okay, yeah. okay, okay. So in, the, in both respects, yeah. So the Money in the Bank briefcase is a huge factor in this game. You never know when they, well, we know when they're going to cash in. But we don't know if they're going to cash in successfully. We never know if it's going to be successfully, and Matt Hardy did just that on the September 23rd, 2008 edition of Monday Night Raw. Let's clear this up, too. I forgot to mention this at the start of the podcast. For those listening to only part two, I don't know why you would be, not part one. We simulate all matches here. We book the feuds, we book what's going to happen, but we don't know who's going to win. Yes. And it's more fun that way. We talked all about it in part one. A lot more unpredictable that way. So Matt Hardy, Mr. Money in the Bank, ends the 10-month-long WWE Championship reign of John Cena. But unlike the first time around, unlike two years prior in the universe, in the WWE universe, he doesn't hold the championship for three or four weeks. He holds the title, and this is what really got us back in the game, because we booked that night on the final Monday of 2014, for a solid six or seven months yeah. in the game. We booked all night and all the next day. And Matt Hardy retained the belt against Cena and Angle in a triple threat match. He beat Angle again in Survivor Series. He overcame every obstacle. He yeah. beat Edge, remember, a couple yeah. times in a TLC the match? Rumble. At the Rumble, New Year's Revolution, yeah. and at WrestleMania. He finally drops the title. But even before that, we had a little, little double turn action, okay? Because Matt Hardy at this point was the leader of the Hardcore Connection. As the WWE Champion. And the Hardcore Connection was a faction that we created full of former, not only former ECW guys, but just, you know, people hardcore in nature. It, it included the likes of Mick Foley. Later on, yes. Yep, Rob Van Dam. Yep, hard- who was our Intercontinental Champion at the time. Hardcore Holly and Kid Cash. They were World Tag Team Champions. Yes, the Hardcore Cash is what we called that tag Yes, team. sir. So we had a four-way, a four-person stable kind of running raw. We love when stables run raw. So Matt Hardy is the leader. Uh, Rob Van Dam is the mid-card guy, and then a tag team of Hardcore Cash, Kid Cash, and Hardcore Holly. Mm-hmm. And so they were running rampant on Monday Night Raw, but it wasn't until that we crowned a new Royal Rumble winner and the world's strongest man, Mark Henry. So this is another this is another example of us kind of creating a star here because it's not really it's it's not really unexpected when you see the guys like Kurt Angle, Randy Orton, John Cena, Edge, Triple H, Batista. When you see them in the title picture, well, of course they're established main event guys. Mark Henry, uh, who who obviously has had you know a cup of coffee in the main event in reality, isn't a guy that you would exactly put the world title on in fantasy booking. But we decided that if we wanted to continue um, our long streak of success, we had to really start mixing it up a little bit. We couldn't keep having the Randy Orton's, the Edges, the Batistas in the main event. So when uh, Henry won the Royal Rumble and we looked at our main event for 2009, it was Matt Hardy versus Mark Henry, a main event we never thought that we'd see. It equated to fresh faces. Well, fresh faces in the main event equates to fresh feuds. Matt Hardy versus Mark Henry had never been done before. As you said, Mark Henry, who by this point we neglected to mention, was still undefeated after two Years. Yep. Undefeated in singles competition. So he went into WrestleMania undefeated. And I forgot to mention this, mention this as well. On the road to WrestleMania, Matt Hardy was knocked off the throne as the leader of Hardcore Connection, being usurped, I believe that's how you pronounce, or pronounce the word, 
by Kurt Angle, who went heel, became the new leader of the Hardcore Connection. So Matt Hardy now a babyface, defending the gold against Mark Henry at WrestleMania. Mark Henry emerges victorious, becomes the new WWE champion, and goes on an absolute tear for months, knocking off John Cena, both at Backlash and at Vengeance mm-hmm. 2009. It's only when he defends the belt at SummerSlam that he drops the championship in a triple threat match with one John Cena and... Kurt Angle, the leader of the Hardcore Connection. Kurt Angle, who, like we said, knocked off Matt Hardy, became that new top heel on Monday Night Raw, uh, reclaims his fifth WWE Championship at SummerSlam 2009. And in the months that followed, Kurt Angle beat Matt Hardy in their third and final installment of their long-running rivalry at Unforgiven to retain the title. At Taboo Tuesday, he became the first man to beat Mark Henry one-on-one with some help from JBL, who was associated with Mark Henry throughout his you know, reign to the top throughout yeah. his time of success. A, a pairing that you came up with, by the way, John. I, I, when I when I came up with JBL, Mark Henry, I was thinking a lot of uh, Ted DiBiase uh, as the JBL character, kind of thing, that million-dollar man type character. And then Mark Henry being his heavy. So it's kind of like a great pairing between them. So JBL turns on Mark Henry at Survivor Series and assists Kurt Angle. So Kurt Angle is the leader of the Hardcore Connection, the WWE Champion, and the first man to beat Mark Henry. It's a historic happening, but only three weeks later does another historic happening occur. It's at Survivor Series, and it's a final chance match for John Cena. If he loses this match against Kurt Angle, he will have to leave the WWE. He's done. He's fired. It's over. And Kurt Angle and John Cena by this point, obviously, as we talked about in part one and a little bit earlier, had a strong, historic series of matches throughout 2007. The rivalry is rekindled on this night. It was Kurt Angle who turned on John Cena to form the Hardcore Connection, or rather, you know, reveal himself as the leader of the group earlier on in the year. So they still had this, you know, despite the feud, you know, technically ending in the fall of 2007, they still continued on the feud in the main event of WrestleMania 08 throughout 2009. And at Survivor Series, not only does John Cena beat Kurt Angle to regain the gold, he does so in controversial fashion, with some help of the Hardcore Connection. And for the first time in our universe, John, John Cena goes rogue. John Cena is now the new top heel in the WWE. Kurt Angle becomes, by default, our next top babyface. So John Cena at Survivor Series 2009 has one more shot against Kurt Angle. If he can't beat Kurt Angle for the WWE Championship, not only is that his last opportunity at Kurt Angle's WWE Championship, but he is gone from the WWE. So what does he do? He enlists the help of Kurt Angle's faction, the Hardcore Connection, all right? He becomes their new leader as the top heel in the WWE, and he is the leader of the Hardcore Connection, the WWE Champion. So the Hardcore Connection had a long shelf life because... We continued to go through leaders. Now, obviously, they weren't our greatest faction because they weren't our strongest. But that's how they had so much. Uh, they had such a long shelf life uh, because we went through Matt Hardy as our original leader. Then we brought in Kurt Angle, who turned on Matt Hardy and became the new leader. And then John Cena not doesn't really turn on Kurt Angle, but Hardcore Connection turns on Kurt Angle and joins John Cena at Survivor Series 2009. So John Cena, by this point is, I believe, a seven-time WWE Champion. Which is unprecedented to this day, and he won more titles after that, spoiler alert, but no one has won more WWE titles than John Cena, not even close. So as we continue along here, John Cena's seventh and historic reign as WWE Champion, despite it happening in epic fashion, monumental, you know, monumental fashion at Survivor Series, the reign 
isn't really all that long. It's at the onset of 2010 that he loses the WWE Championship in a match against Triple H. And by the way, this is only their fourth match ever on pay-per-view. They faced off originally at SummerSlam 2003, Triple H won. They faced off at Backlash 2004. Triple H won. And, John, who won their match at Vengeance 04? At Vengeance 04, Triple H won, kicking John Cena out of the WWE at that point. Yep. Of course, now he's back. Triple H, so their fourth match ever on pay-per-view, now it's Triple H as the babyface versus John Cena as the heel leader of the Hardcore Connection. And yet again, Triple H beats John Cena. And not only that, but he adds gold to the recently reformed Evolution. And at this point, at New Year's Revolution, it was a stacked show. Mm-hmm. His Triple H end of the night is WWE champion. Batista and Randy Orton, or rather Batista and Ric Flair. Was it Batista? No, sorry, Batista and Bobby Lashley yeah. were world tag team now, champions. Remember, Bobby Lashley was our unofficial member of Evolution in this in this world. Of course, at this point, he was uh, a, a standard of Evolution. He was one of our main guys. But unlike in reality, we had him as the diamond we were trying mm-hmm. to make from the coal. So mm-hmm. Bobby Lashley is a huge part of Evolution, but unlike in reality. Uh, so so Bobby Lashley and Batista, tag team champions. And the Intercontinental Champion. Hey, nothing you can say. Randy Orton. So it was a really, you know, a lot like in reality with the Armageddon 2003 pay-per-view. All members of Evolution, the recently reformed babyface Evolution, every member was a champion. Historic. But only three weeks later... This Triple H lose the belt back very next the, the very next pay-per-view to John Cena. John Cena. Who finally beats Triple H, by the way. Yeah, his first time beating Triple H. So the dichotomy that we were talking about earlier, done. Over. And and this is years later this is happening. Years later. So this really stretched out over time where it was John Cena couldn't be Triple H. Triple H couldn't be Batista. And Batista could not be John Cena. That triangle, done. Over. Finished. Uh, John Cena beats Triple H at the Royal Rumble in January of 2010. In that same pay-per-view, Kurt Angle winning his third Royal Rumble match. He won in 07, he won in 2009, or rather 2008, Mark Henry won in 09. 2010, Kurt Angle, after getting kicked out of his own group only months earlier, gets one more shot at the WWE title, and it's a WrestleMania rematch. We have never done two WrestleMania main event matches, not back-to-back, but just ever. And we finally get to this WrestleMania. John Cena versus Kurt Angle one last time. Was it in Hell in a Cell? Was it in Hell in a Cell? It was in Hell in a Cell. And who wins but the three-time Royal Rumble winner, the Olympic gold medalist, Kurt Angle. Gets a bit of retribution against the man who turned his faction against him, John Cena. And 2010, where we are right now, is kind of the landmark that we use as the new era. Now, we, we were calling it the New Era before WWE decided to call their product the New Era. And the reason we decided to call it the New Era was because Graham had contemplated ending it all right there. He saw the main event of WrestleMania 2010, John Cena versus Kurt Angle, as the perfect place to call it quits. I mean, we had been playing at this point. In reality, we were in early 2015. or It was May of 2015. May of 2015. We got back from school, yep. So, and so... We're 10 years out of the game, in game time, and we are four years... Just about four years, yeah. In, ...in reality. So Graham had, Graham had said, you know, we, we've really done it all. Johnson and Kurt Angle was our best rivalry, and he saw it no better way than to finish it at Hell in a Cell, WrestleMania 2010, Kurt Angle beating John Cena. But I said, Graham, no, no, no. There is far too much untrekked 
territory. We have we have not even explored all of our options, all of the rivalries that we can do. Every rivalry that we did before can be done again. Make make the babyface heel and the heel babyface. I mean, there was, there was just a formula for success that I saw fit, and that is exactly what we did. And we kicked off the new era in explosive fashion. In controversial fashion, indeed. Explosive fashion, as you said. So I swerved you. Kurt Angle came out the next night, you know, celebrating his WWE title win from WrestleMania, only to be interrupted by Mr. Money in the Bank, who we had completely forgotten was in possession of the opportunistic briefcase, cashing in on Kurt Angle to win his first WWE title. By this point, in my opinion, one of, if not the greatest superstar in Raw's history to have never won the WWE title, and he finally did on this night. And his name was... Viva la raza, Eddie Guerrero. He cashed in on Kurt Angle the night after WrestleMania. So imagine this. You're a viewer of Monday Night Raw. You just watched the greatest rivalry ever end in dramatic fashion. John Cena, Kurt Angle, Hell in a Cell. And the very next night, you expect Kurt Angle to come out and celebrate. Tell the fans why he's so thankful for their support. And who do you get but Eddie Guerrero cashing in on Kurt Angle to become... The WWE Champion, the first, his first ever WWE Championship. And Graham, I've got to say, one of my favorite rivalries ever. Eddie Guerrero, Kurt Angle. I think because I have such fond uh, fond feelings, fond emotions for the idea of Eddie Guerrero versus Kurt Angle in reality. Also, I mean, their, their, their matches in 2004, uh, or specifically the WrestleMania match at WrestleMania 20, was one that I, I you know, really enjoyed. So I think this has to announce one of my favorite rivalries, but Eddie Guerrero and Kurt Angle over the WWE Championship. Eddie Guerrero claims his first strap, his first title, at the Raw after WrestleMania 2010. And I think even on a bigger scale, this post-Raw WrestleMania, this post-WrestleMania Raw, has really served as the standard bearer for all future installments. Yep. I mean, also on the night, a little a couple things we have to acknowledge in order for these other title changes to make sense. Undertaker... After 10 long years away from Raw, he was on SmackDown for 10 years, people. For almost about 8, 9 years, actually. Gets drafted to Raw on the post-WrestleMania Raw that same night that Eddie Guerrero became WWE Champion. Mm-hmm. Hulk Hogan became the new general manager of Monday Night Raw. And up to that point, we had never utilized Hulk Hogan in our universe. And it's also worth mentioning that on that night, a new faction was formed. The seeds of a new faction. Chris Benoit who had just been drafted from SmackDown as World Heavyweight Champion, had to start from the bottom again. He had to re- he had to relinquish the SmackDown's World Heavyweight Championship, but he didn't want to start from the bottom. He teamed with Evolutions, Batiste and Bobby Lashley, whoever it was, against Cena and whatever. Because, because as a result of Cena's loss at WrestleMania, we also forgot to mention this, hardcore connection was no more. Yep. No more heel factions, no more bullshit. Until the next night. Well, this is, that's a huge stipulation. I just have to reiterate for all the fans back home. So John Cena, like we said, this is still 2010 in our universe. John Cena loses to Kurt Angle at WrestleMania. All right? Hardcore connection. The faction that had been around for, what, two years? Two years by this two point. Two years. It's it seen different members, but like we said, the core members of Rob Van Dam, Hardcore Holly, Kid Cash, like we said, Cactus Jack was in there, Mick Foley. Yeah, that in 09, yep. Yep. That faction, that stable is done as a result of Kurt Angle winning at WrestleMania. So John Cena is now without, he's still the top heel, but he's without his cronies now. And without his title. Yep, and so this is the night after WrestleMania. Eddie Guerrero's WWE Champion, uh, Hulk Hogan's new general manager, Undertaker's back on Raw, 
But more importantly than all of that, we have a new faction budding, ladies and gentlemen. And this faction is the one we alluded to in part one, was, I'd have to speak for both of us, our favorite and the best stable, the best faction we've ever done. And unique as well, I would say. Oh, of course. My whole idea of the stable, when I was thinking about it initially, before we ever actually did it, was to represent the three, not, not you know, specifically the three best members from each group, but representing each of our greatest stables of all time. E3. Chris Benoit joining John Cena in the post-WrestleMania Raw that night, as we alluded to. And at Backlash only weeks later, just Evolution finally crumble from within after Triple H goes to SmackDown. And Bobby Lashley turns on Batista and Orton to become the third member of this group. And it's called E3 for a reason. John Cena represents the E that is extreme. Extreme, as he was the leader of the Hardcore Connection. Chris Benoit represents the E that is the Elite. World Elite, the faction we talked about in part one, one of my second favorite faction. World Elite, Chris Benoit was one of the original members of World Elite. And Bobby Lashley represents the E that is Evolution. Evolution, Bobby Lashley was a mainstay of Evolution ever since we started the group on Monday Night Raw. So now you have three members representing three of the greatest factions in Hardcore Connection, Extreme, World Elite, Elite, and Evolution, Evolution, John Cena, Chris Benoit, and Bobby Lashley, and Graham, the run they had. Our fucking shield. Our we'll talk more about those guys as we go along. We're talking primarily about the WWE title here. That's the title history. I'm going to put in the video, of course, as usual. Um, but they, they, just keep that in mind. They are the background players. But not really, because I feel like they really stole the year of 2010. The years of 2010 through 2014 and the four years that they were together. Just keep that in mind. We'll talk with them throughout the next four years. Um, but they really all kicked off. That's what I'm trying to emphasize here. They kicked off and that post-WrestleMania Raw in 2000, and taking the World Tag Team titles not long after that, and running with them, holding them hostage for nearly a year and a half. It was insane. So, while they took a backseat from the main event scene, Eddie Guerrero beats Kurt Angle twice at both Backlash and Vengeance to retain the title, and it's only at SummerSlam that the reign of Viva La Raza is that the initial... Senor De Niro and El Banco, the WWE champion, does his reign come to an end to? Randy Orton. Randy Orton coming through as a top babyface. Like we said, he was a member of Evolution when they reignited on uh, earlier this year, earlier in 2010. Uh, but he broke away as Evolution disbanded to become a four-time WWE champion at SummerSlam. It was Eddie Guerrero versus Randy Orton, and Randy Orton walked out successfully. But like we had, like like all things, Graham, SummerSlam isn't a promise. You walk out of SummerSlam, the WWE champion, it doesn't mean you're gonna walk out of the very next pay per view unforgiven as the WWE champion, and that's what we saw once again. But the way this played out was nothing short of spectacular. So not only does Randy Orton lose the championship inside the chamber, which, as you said, is basically a guarantee, he drops it back to the same man he beat to win the belt initially, Eddie fucking Guerrero. So Eddie Guerrero wins the title initially on the post-WrestleMania Raw, holds it for six, or excuse me, uh, uh, more like four, four months? Who? Eddie Guerrero. Eddie, initially, yes. Holds four it for months. four months, loses it at SummerSlam to Randy Orton, wins it back weeks later at Unforgiven inside of the Elimination Chamber. So Eddie Guerrero has really come out of nowhere. I mean, up until the post-WrestleMania Raw, he was a great tag team guy, 
always could count on him for the mid card, but we had never really acknowledged him as a top main eventer. And when he became a two-time WWE champion, uh, Unforgiven 2010, that's when we realized Eddie Guerrero is legit. He is a legit WWE champion. He arrived in 2010. The year of 2010, for all the great rising superstars we had that year, from Shelton Benjamin to E3 to everyone else, Eddie Guerrero took the ball and freaking ran with it and was undoubtedly the 2010 the, the 2010 MVP. So from there, he drops the championship. Or, well, he beats Randy Orton in a rematch at Taboo Tuesday. But it's only a few weeks after that he loses it in a triple threat match involving Randy Orton and Batista. So Batista takes the championship back at Survivor Series, and he holds a championship for many, many months, knocking off Eddie Guerrero, winning, you know, knocking him, you know, beating him in New Year's Revolution. Once again, the Royal Rumble, he knocks off Umaga, and the winner of the Royal Rumble was Eddie Guerrero. But it's not Batista and Eddie Guerrero at WrestleMania, because Mr. Money in the Bank, Shelton Benjamin, declares he's cashing in at WrestleMania. So he beats Eddie, and Eddie and Shelton had gone way back. I mean, Shelton beat Eddie to win his initial WWE Intercontinental Championship, or rather, he lost the IC Championship. The long reign of Shelton Benjamin came to an end at the hands of Eddie Guerrero. So, what we have to establish here is that Eddie Guerrero will not die. He always has to come back into the picture. So, like we, I, I just talked about his his early his his early part of 2010, but now getting into the later half. So he wins the championship in the six man elimination chamber at Unforgiven. Successfully defends it against Randy Orton, loses it in a triple threat a couple weeks later at Survivor Series to Batista and Randy Orton. Batista wins the WWE Championship. Now, Batista holds on to that title for quite a while, but Eddie Guerrero wins the freaking Royal Rumble. So it's looking like Eddie Guerrero Batista is our main event of WrestleMania. Why not? But Shelton Benjamin, a guy who we have to talk about, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about Shelton Benjamin in this podcast. Shelton Benjamin was a guy we took from obscurity. Um, he, when we, when we drafted him to Raw, uh, th- now this is, we're talking about his early career, he was a mid-card guy, tag team guy, never could break through that glass ceiling. We drafted him in 2008, and we and it was my goal to have Shelton Benjamin in the main event scene, because once we had gotten, you know, past 2007, I really wanted to start focusing on the younger guys. That's where you see the Mark Henrys and the Matt Hardys coming in. Shelton Benjamin was another guy that I really wanted to get into the main event picture. Of course, it, it, it was building over time. Like I said, we drafted him back in 2008. And now in 2010, he's coming into the picture. Or actually, now at this point, Royal Rumble, it's 2011. Yes. Correct? Yes. So it's, it's 2011 now, almost three years later, that Shelton Benjamin is, is becoming the main event guy that I wanted him to be. So Eddie Guerrero wins the Royal Rumble, but uh, Shelton Benjamin uh, cashes in? So instead, he beats Eddie Guerrero to face Batista. Or rather, Batista beats Eddie on Raw. Shelton Benjamin was going to the main event of WrestleMania no matter what. So we had the WrestleMania quote-unquote main event early, and Batista versus Eddie. One last time, steel cage match on Raw. Batista retains the title, beats Eddie. So it's Batista, Benjamin, WrestleMania. Benjamin's Mr. Money in the Bank. He's still the Intercontinental Champion. He beat Edge for the belt a couple months earlier at the Royal Rumble. He's got the IC belt. He's got the briefcase. But can he add the WWE title to his resume? So for the first time ever in the main event of WrestleMania 2011, it's Batista versus Shelton Benjamin. Champion versus champion. Title for title. Title for title. And this is exactly what I had wanted for quite some time. Because like I said, we, we drafted Benjamin in 08. 
And and when he beat Edge at the Royal Rumble for the IC title, that wasn't his first IC title reign since we'd had him. I I wanted Shelton Benjamin to be our Ultimate Warrior for quite some time. I wanted him to be the first guy to have both the IC title and the WWE title. But Graham, did Shelton Benjamin successfully win the strap at WrestleMania? He was unsuccessful. And we thought, fuck, like we really could have had a great moment there. But I feel like the thing is, is that with this game, it's not like with WWE in real life where it's like, okay, so they booked this wrong, but they're going to get it right in the end. This game is simulated, okay? So if Shelton loses, he's losing. It's not like it's going to build to something bigger. <laughs> Yet it did. We'll get back to that. Hold on to that thought for a second. But anyway, Batista retains the title, still the WWE champion, wins the IC championship for the first time in his career, vacates the belt the very next night. Yeah. Shelton Benjamin ironically wins that championship back by beating Bobby Lashley in the post-WrestleMania Raw. So Batista's still WWE champion, but for not that much longer. Well, like, we did a little... I remember us... <laughs> it's funny that we talk about this. This was the time where we brought in the eraser. You know, we, and the, everyone knows what the term the pencil is in, in creative and in booking, but we, we speci- I remember this term like it was yesterday. We started talking about the eraser. Now, Batista beat Shelton Benjamin... For the WWE Championship, or for the Intercontinental Championship, becoming a WWE and Intercontinental Champion at WrestleMania 2011. But the very next night, he vacates it uh, for reasons I, I can't remember. That he can't defend both belts. In the game, you can't give a champion another title. Okay. And in my I, in my plans, I was going to have Batista a dual champion. Mm-hmm. We just couldn't do that. We couldn't do it. So he vacates it the next night on Raw, and Shelton Benjamin becomes the IC champion. So, um, if I mean, if you were a viewer of this product, you might almost feel a little bit cheated. It's like the main event of WrestleMania didn't even happen. Batista's still a champion, WWE champion. Shelton Benjamin's the IC champion the next night after losing it to Batista at WrestleMania. So we kind of brought in the eraser, but Shelton Benjamin was far from done. Like At that point, we had thought, well, we had worked three years now to get this guy to main event status, and he just lost. He just fizzled out. We thought he was over, but he was not over. But in the meantime, we had a new top heel rise to the top. So you talk about Eddie Guerrero being the MVP of 2010. Undoubtedly, in my opinion, I know Shelton Benjamin really ran 2011, as we'll talk about soon enough. But this man who got drafted back to Raw, or no, even he was still on Raw at this point. He didn't get drafted to Raw in 2011. The rated R superstar Edge, challenging Batista to a title match at Backlash and beating him. To win his first WWE title in nearly a decade. In nearly a decade. So our inaugural WWE champion is WWE. Excuse me, is WWE champion again. He is now a three-time WWE champion by Backlash 2011. So Backlash is really Edge's cup of tea, man. That's where he wins his championships right there. Hell yeah. Uh, so Edge beats Batista at Backlash. Batista retains the WWE championship at WrestleMania against Shelton Benjamin. Comes back. Edge challenges him. Edge is victorious. Backlash 2011. And in the weeks that followed, remember Edge was dominating Batista. He beat him almost on a weekly fucking basis. The guy didn't lose during his reign as champion. Until when the championship was actually on the line, he lost the belt right back to Batista a vengeance two months later. Okay. The next night, also, I forgot to mention this as well, the very next night, Batista retains the title. We, did, or we said, okay, fuck it, we're going to do one last time. TLC match tonight live on Raw. Edge, Batista... Batista retained. In Edge's very own match. Edge cannot beat Batista in the TLC match. He is, again, unsuccessful, so he's no longer WWE Champion. Batista is WWE Champion. And like, and I can't have these people forget, E3 running rampant during this time. The World Tag Team Champions still are John Cena and Chris Benoit, who go on to have the longest reigning World Tag Team title run 
Of all time. Knocking off British Invasion, Booker T and Keen, everybody. What's so unprecedented about this is that John Cena, who became our top heel in 2009, it's now 2011, our top heel is now having a, a kind of a career resurgence. He's still heel, but he and Chris Benoit are the t- long, become the longest reigning tag team champions. And during this period, they're still tag team champions during this period. But they, they're they're knocking off all oncomers. It's it's almost unfair how successful they were. You can't forget about Bobby Lashley, who was kind of the mid-card guy, who was, go, who was vying for the mid-card title. He was, he was also a threat. But E3, during this time, we can't let you guys forget about them, our greatest faction ever is running rampant on Monday Night Raw. But back to the main event scene, Batista, after winning at WrestleMania... Losing a backlash and winning again on Vengeance, WWE Champion. But I talked about that TLC match. Mm-hmm. It was only afterwards that he was helped out by a friend. So I believe it might have been Eddie Guerrero. So Eddie Guerrero comes down looking to attack Batista, okay? But instead of helping him out, so Benjamin comes down to help out Batista to thwart and counteract counterpart Eddie Guerrero. They're celebrating afterwards, you know, thanks a lot, good old friend. I mean, old enemies, but... Now and they're still best friends. It's worth friends. noting that Shelton Benjamin and Batista are both baby faces. Yes, they're still both, both baby faces. The WrestleMania main event was a baby face versus baby face. Yes, like you said, our version of Hulk Hogan versus Ultimate Warrior. So Shelton Benjamin, consummate baby face, never even thought about, you know, the latter, the, the, what could happen. Until now, when he lays out Batista with the super kick heard around the world, kicking off the summer of Shelton. Going on to beat Batista in Chicago at SummerSlam to finally win the WWE title in a WrestleMania rematch. And the whole thing came full circle. It was a beautiful story. New face crown, passing the torch, great match, great environment with all the history that we have in Chicago in this game. It was a beautiful crowning moment for Shelton Benjamin. Now, this is an example of when the game might think better than us. Like we said, we simulate all this. Now, how good of a moment would it have been if Shelton Benjamin, the new up-and-coming babyface, could have knocked off Batista at WrestleMania, the passing of the torch? But what we didn't foresee was Shelton Benjamin losing. Now, Batista goes through a mini-feud with Edge. Remember, Eddie Guerrero's still still, you know, kicking around. He's still a top-heeled to, to look at. But we never thought about Shelton Benjamin turning on Batista after that TLC match that you spoke of, all right, to become the next heel on Monday Night Raw. And like you said, at SummerSlam in Chicago, Shelton Benjamin beats Batista for the WWE Championship. Shelton Benjamin, the guy that I had been working to build to the top, is finally at the top. But instead of going right back to that Batista-Shelton rematch, that rubber match, The Rock enters the picture after a great series of matches with Eddie Guerrero throughout 2011. He steps up as the new number one contender to the WWE title, Unforgiven, beating Shelton Benjamin in his hometown of Miami to win back the WWE title for the first time in almost five years. So Shelton Benjamin, as long as we are working to get him to the top, doesn't stand on the top long. So Shelton Benjamin wins the strap at SummerSlam, and only a month later, Unforgiven, does The Rock become the new WWE champion in Miami, Florida. But what's our very next pay-per-view, Graham? The Taboo Tuesday. And where was Taboo Tuesday held? Orangeburg, South Carolina. Now, what is so freaking amazing about this, and this is all chance, guys. This is literally luck of the draw. Now, in this game, a hometown superstar is always uh, always someone you want to pay attention to. Someone who will, will pop a rating for the show, and someone you like to usually put towards the main event because, you know, obviously the hometown crowd will favor the hometown hero. Now, 
in this game, if you're in the home, if you're in the superstar state, period, they're considered a hometown guy. Like whenever we're in Pennsylvania, whether it be Philadelphia, Penobscot, whatever that Indian Reserve in Pennsylvania that we're always going to, or Pittsburgh, Kurt Angle is considered the hometown guy. But on this occasion, on the in 2011, it just so happened that at Unforgiven, when we did The Rock versus Shelton Benjamin for the WWE title, we were in Miami, Florida, The Rock's actual hometown. It wasn't Tampa, Florida. It wasn't Orlando, Florida. It was Miami, Florida. In the very next month, it wasn't a couple months later. It wasn't eight weeks later. The very next month for the rematch at Taboo Tuesday, Orangeburg, South Carolina, Shelton Benjamin's actually build hometown. So we go from Miami to Taboo Tuesday, and Graham, who wins in Orangeburg, South Carolina? Ain't no stop me now. Shelton Benjamin reclaims his title after losing into the Rock of Miami in Orangeburg, South Carolina. And what I loved about the main event scene at this period in time is we had so many different main event players. We had Batista, as we talked about for most of 2011. We had The Rock, obviously. We had Edge. We had Booker T kind of waiting in the wings as well for a title show. Can't forget Eddie Guerrero. Eddie Guerrero. Now, John Cena and Chris Benoit, both main event guys, taking one for the team as the longest reigning tag team champions at this point. I mean, you can't forget. Imagine if the top two guys, Seth Rollins and AJ Styles right now. I mean, that in my mind, in reality, the top two guys. Imagine if they just said, fuck it. Like, let's go win the tag team titles. I'm like, what? You guys are WWE Championship material. What are you doing the tag team titles? But John Cena, Chris Benoit, can't forget about them. E3, still running amok on Raw. Benjamin proves his initial victory, or winning back the WWE title for a second time at Taboo Tuesday in his hometown was not a fluke, because at Survivor Series, he barely escapes with his title intact in a triple threat match with The Rock and Edge, who are longtime rivals, and they continue their feud going into New Year's Revolution. Benjamin escapes with the title intact, and the very next night on Raw... In comes Randy Orton, who announces he's cashing in his Money in the Bank briefcase at New Year's Revolution, our first ever pay-per-view, first ever main event of 2012. And unlike many before him, is successful in cashing in that briefcase and becomes the new WWE champion. So Charlotte Benjamin has a lengthy reign, like we said, Taboo Tuesday to New Year's Revolution, about four to five months. And Randy Orton, Mr. Money in the Bank, cashes in to become, what was it, Graham? A five-time WWE. WWE Champion. So he faces off against Shelton in a ladder match at the Royal Rumble, retains the title against Benjamin at the Royal Rumble, which means that he is going to the main event of WrestleMania. And a SmackDown superstar, it might have been Shawn Michaels, won the Royal Rumble that year. Actually, it might have been, I have no idea. I'm pretty sure it's Kurt Angle. So anyway, we have Randy Orton, or no, it was Triple H. Triple H won the Rumble that year. Triple H won the Rumble. 2012 Royal Rumble. So we have um, Randy Orton as WWE Champion going into WrestleMania. So John Cena, after losing the World Tag Team Championships with Benoit in late 2012, finally early emerges. 2012. Early 2012. Late 2011. Late 2011. Right, right. after Survivor Series. Okay. Did I say late 2012? You said late 2012. My apologies. So he emerges as a main event threat once again, becoming the new number one contender to the title with Bobby Lashley, or rather Benoit, I forgot who it was, in his corner at WrestleMania. Orton retains the title, beats John Cena to retain the title in the main event of WrestleMania 2012. Still the WWE Champion, but all of that is for naught. The very next night on Raw, Randy Orton gets drafted to SmackDown. All champions, everyone is eligible in the draft. But because of that, Randy Orton is forced to vacate the WWE 
title. So we have to go back real quick, do a little rewinding real quick. So John Cena, Chris Benoit's lengthy year-long reign as tag team champions comes to an end to the hands of... The British Invasion. Paul Burchill and William Regal. So they finally knock off E3 and become the tag team champions. So John Cena says, hey, I'm no longer champion. All right, let's do Randy Orton, John Cena, main event of WrestleMania. And you think that'd be a match we do right off the bat, but that was not a match we did until... 12 years. Well, we done it a pay-per-view before, but never a full-fledged feud. And, of course, it was Randy Orton as the heel, John Cena as the baby Exactly. Face. But now we got John Cena as the heel, Randy Orton as the baby face for WrestleMania 2012. And it, it's also worth mentioning, too, John Cena was fresh off a victory against The Rock, finally avenging the loss from six years earlier at New Year's Revolution. So that's what earned him a title shot at the uh, WrestleMania pay-per-view. Yeah. Also knocking off The Rock and Hulk Hogan, who came in as a wrestler right after Survivor Series, relinquishing his duties as GM to give it to Dusty Rhodes. And now we have John Cena as a new main event star once again, but he loses in the main event of WrestleMania. Orton goes to SmackDown. He's no longer the WWE champion, so the belt is vacated. What do you do? Evolution is destroyed. Batista goes to SmackDown too. What do we do to crown a new WWE champion? In comes... D Generation X. Triple H was no longer, he was no longer alone. He goes from having buddies in Batista and Randy Orton, but he is joined by the reuniting member of D Generation X, Shawn Michaels. Shawn Michaels comes from SmackDown to Raw. So DX gets back together after Shawn Michaels comes from SmackDown. Now, at this point, have we had D Generation X at all as a tag team? Yes, they had formed in the summer of 2008 okay. to take on the Evolution stable that was, at that point, consisting of Batista, Orton, and Ric Flair. Okay. So now they reunite four years later in the main event of Backlash against uh, E3, and whoever scores the deciding victory for their respective team, would become the WWE Champion. So another unprecedented defeat. We have a tag team match for the WWE Championship. Handicap, no less. Handicap match. It was all oh, three was, members of E3. So John Cena, Chris Benoit, Bobby Lashley versus Triple H and Shawn Michaels. Triple H pins Bobby Lashley to become the WWE Champion, a five-time mm-hmm. WWE Champion, but he does not hold on to that title long because we have a hell of a story getting ready to propel us into the summer of 2012. He puts on a hell of a performance in the triple threat match of the Vengeance pay-per-view. In a triple threat match versus Shawn Michaels, his very own best friend, and John Cena. A match that we had seen in real life at Survivor Series 09. But this build was not about fucking midgets Mm -hmm. and stupid-ass comedy. This was real, heartfelt shit. As Triple H and Shawn Michaels, as good of friends as they were, had to go up against each other for the WWE title. And Shawn Michaels was putting it all on the line. He was desperate to win the belt. This is... Shawn Michaels had yet to be a WWE champion up to this point. 12 years of the game was not yet WWE champion. And this is where you're starting to see on Monday Night Raw, you're starting to see, you know, John Cena... Or, uh, excuse me, Shawn Michaels and Triple H taking on the team of, like, Benoit and Lashley. You got singles matches going on with everyone in each other's respective corners. But this is when you're starting to see Shawn Michaels tease the super kick, tease the switch of music on Triple H... Because you know he's got he's to pull the trigger at Vengeance when he faces him and John Cena in a triple threat match. And Shawn Michaels wants, no, he needs that WWE Championship because he's yet to hold it. So he's willing to turn on Triple H, his buddy from D-Generation X, to do it. And he does it. He gets his one more match. He finally becomes champion in the triple threat match at Vengeance. But all good things must come to an end. But Shawn Michaels, rather, came to an end sooner than we all expected to or even wanted to. 
he was heartbroken because at SummerSlam, he dropped the championship to one John Cena, who finally became a nine-time, record-setting nine-time WWE champion with the help, not with the help, but inadvertent help, I should say, of special guest referee Triple H. And Sean was pissed because he thought Triple H did it on purpose. Why would you screw me over? We're best friends. We've always been best friends. Why the fuck would you do that? John Cena is now the WWE champion, and E3 has a WWE title in their possession at long last. So you got to look at 2012 as a whole. We start out, or at least the, the uh, post-WrestleMania, we start out with a vacated title. The, we're going to find out a winner of Backlash a, a month later, and uh, Triple H wins it in a tag team match, or a handicap match, excuse me, against E3 with his partner Shawn Michaels. Next month, at ben, or two months later at Vengeance, we have a triple threat match. Triple H, John Cena, Shawn Michaels. Shawn Michaels wins by pinning John Cena. So he doesn't pin Triple H, he doesn't turn on his foe there. Or he doesn't turn on his friend there. Doesn't make his friend foe. And then at SummerSlam, we have Shawn Michaels versus John Cena with Triple H as a special guest referee. Now, I, f- I forget how we had explained that in storyline, but Triple H did inadvertently assist John Cena in the win. Triple H didn't turn heel. It was just by his clumsiness. Because, you know, by happenstance, he allowed John Cena to win the WWE Championship, and Shawn Michaels took that as a stab in the back from his friend Triple H. So at Unforgiven, of course, Triple H enters the Elimination Chamber as WWE Champion. He does not Excuse leave. Me, John Cena? John Cena, excuse me, enters the Elimination Chamber as WWE Champion. He does not leave as WWE Champion. Kind of spoiler there for you, but it's Triple H who emerges victorious with the title in tow by pinning Shawn Michaels early on. Triple H pins his best friend. Again, inside the chamber, it's not a heel turn from the game. It's every man for himself. Yeah. And he finally wins back the belt. Shawn Michaels isn't really all that happy for him. I mean, nah. he's happy. And at this point, by the way, I forgot to mention, going into Unforgiven... They had won back the World Tag Team titles from E3, only to drop the championships back to them one week later. You one know, a la Cena Batista from 08 in real life. A la Stone Cold Steve Austin and Mick Foley, 1998. I mean, or 97, excuse John me. John Cena and Shawn Michaels. In 2007. I mean, it was it was really a cool bit of storytelling. How it seemed after SummerSlam, Triple H and Shawn Michaels would you know be back on the same side, still have their cohesive D-Generation X chemistry. They win the titles. Dropping back a week later, going into Unforgiven. So, but the best, the what really needs to be told right now is, of course, we don't like when the title plays a lot of hot potato, which is something that you have to expect in this game. But when the title does what it did in 2012, goes from Triple H to Shawn Michaels to John Cena back to Triple H. I mean, it's a really cool bit of storytelling, especially when we're having these guys all in the same story. It's not like Triple H, Shawn Michaels, and John Cena continue winning the title, but weren't involved with feuds with each other. I mean, these, these guys have been involved with each other since April, and by September, Triple H is again the WWE Champion, a la the Elimination Chamber Unforgiven. But Shawn Michaels, not happy. So he says this, I'll make you a deal, Sean, I love you, I'll grant you one more match. And that's what Sean says all he needs. He says all he needs is one more match. I'm going to get my one more match at Taboo Tuesday. And he does. So for the first time ever, it's Shawn Michaels versus Triple H one-on-one. So E3 comes in looking to fuck up the finish, but we have the Calvary make the save in the Rock, Undertaker, and Booker T, which I know sounds like a random-ass trio on, on, on paper, but... They all had one common enemy, 
in E3. Remember, E3 is making a lot of enemies on Monday Night Raw. They are just running rampant. And of course, as we explained the WWE title picture, we'd be remiss to say that E3 had their own feuds going on. Benoit and Bobby Lashley were, were feuding with the likes of Booker T, Undertaker, and The Rock. And so at this point, if you're, if you're watching the program, you'd know that The Rock, The Undertaker, Booker T, these baby faces, they want to see the destruction of E3. So when E3 comes to screw the finish... For Shawn Michaels, well, Shawn Michaels has Undertaker, Booker T, and The Rock in his back pocket. Well, not necessarily for Shawn Michaels. Oh, but for, just for 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 screw for, for the, pure chaos for the for the sake of screwing the finish of a pay per view. Exactly, just to say fuck you, GM Dusty Rhodes, pretty much, just to give the old bird to the uh, WWE Hall of Famer. But they're not successful. But in the wake of all this chaos, the referee gets knocked down. Shawn Michaels sees this, and it's like. Do I want to do the honorable thing and wake up the referee and beat my best friend the right way? Or do I know that the only way I'm going to be able to win this championship is if, you know, by through nefarious means? And he takes the latter. He knows that the only way he's going to be able to win this championship is if he beats his best friend dirty. And he does just that. While the referee is down, he takes a good old beer bottle smashes it over the head of Triple H. Or not the beer bottle. I'm was thinking beer sl- money was here. Was it the sledgehammer? Sledgehammer. No, I, I was thinking... I I used a championship okay. in, in when we did it, but we could say sledgehammer. Mm-hmm. He used an object. A foreign object. We'll say that. I'm thinking beer money when I said beer bottle. Over the head of Triple H. H to win back the WWE title. Shawn Michaels finally is a two-time WWE champion. Two-time WWE champion. So like we said, going back over 2012, or at least from post-Raw WrestleMania, or post-WrestleMania Raw, excuse me, we go from Triple H to Shawn Michaels to John Cena to Triple H to Shawn Michaels. I mean, these guys can't seem to find the dominant bit. But Shawn Michaels at Taboo Tuesday with E3 running in and causing chaos, The Rock, Undertaker, and Booker T coming in to stop the chaos. And in the midst of all of this freaking anarchy, Shawn Michaels turns heel on Triple H, his best friend, to become the WWE champion that he'd always wanted to be. It's worth noting that up to this point, in the 13 years, or rather 12 years, we've been playing this game. For one thing, obviously, as you mentioned, Shawn Michaels had never before been WWE champion, and he'd also never been heel, a lot like John Cena. So it's only fitting that he turns heel on the man who helped him win the tag team titles, gave him his first title victory ever on Monday Night Raw in 2008, and the same man that he'd been teaming with for years, his best friend. That's how you treat a best friend? Bullshit. As we had Jim Ross exclaim yep. as Shawn Michaels picked up the WWE title. His second WWE title. Let's not forget that. So around the waist of the Heartbreak Kid, the belt stays. He His match, I was going to say he beat him at Survivor Series, but rather their match at Survivor Series ended in... Their last man standing match ended in a draw. One more match at New Year's Revolution. An Iron Man match. And Shawn Michaels finally proves his superiority over Triple H by beating him in the Iron Man match to retain the WWE title. Also knocking off Great Kali at the Royal Rumble. <laughs> okay, Kali wins via count out, but he knocked him off on Midsummer's the Nightmare a few weeks ago, a few weeks later on Raw. But the bottom line is this Shawn Michaels is still the WWE champion. And finally he's having the reign that he wants. I mean like he won a vengeance at 2012, but lost it right back to Cena at SummerSlam, which isn't a great reign, and that was part 
of what built what made him turn towards that heel stature that's that heel you know, presence that heel character because he knew as a babyface as a good guy as a, as someone who needs the support of the WWE universe he couldn't do it. He couldn't hold on to the title. So when he finally said, by any means necessary, and he beat Triple H at Taboo Tuesday, he actually held on to the strap until WrestleMania 2013. Woo! John, don't even get me started. So a new threat emerges in The Undertaker. The Undertaker is the next person, the next dead man, excuse me, who wants to vie for Shawn Michaels' WWE Championship. So, at this point, we had the Royal Rumble won by Kurt Angle. Kurt Angle wins the Royal Rumble. At this point, he was still on SmackDown. He's on SmackDown. So, that's completely irrelevant at this point. So, The Undertaker comes out and becomes the new number one contender to the title. Another match we had never done up to this point. We never done it. Shawn Michaels versus Undertaker, a match built on fucking respect. And The Undertaker, a lot like Shawn Michaels the year prior... Despite the many years that he had had on Monday Night Raw, despite being a Raw original, being there since day fucking one, had never before been a WWE champion. He had not. And now he had his sights set on Shawn Michaels' WWE Championship. Now, did Shawn Michaels, I, I, excuse me, did he have a crony along with him? Remind me who that was. So, after ditching the likes of Triple H, he found a new ally in his training partner down in his actual wrestling school in real life, one Lance Cade. Again, sounds like a very random pairing to you guys, I'm sure, at home. Why isn't he with Trevor Murdoch? And that's like the, what many people expect of him. But you got to think, you know, my, my you know, line of thinking here, my thought process was, you know, along the lines of Chris Jericho with Lance Cade in 2008, with the whole story, was right, that, be, right before Landscape passed. Yeah, a couple a couple years, but he was he he was released in late 08, but he died in twenty ten. I know what you mean though. So right before that. Um but he joined Jericho with the storyline being that he was neglected at Shawn Michaels wrestling school and he didn't want to acknowledge that he had trained him, whatever. So that's why he joined him. But at this point in our game, he did want to acknowledge it. He did train Landscape, and he's a trainer from his wrestling school. So Lance Cade comes up as the new crony, as the new henchman, the new, the new right-hand man for the Heartbreak Kid, helping him retain the title at every turn going into WrestleMania. So every heel needs a crony, and Lance Cade was just that for Shawn Michaels. Shawn Michaels having a great run from Taboo Tuesday on to WrestleMania. Like we said, Undertaker, who was the next number one contender, would face Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania. And now, Graham, we must tell everyone, every, every time we play this game, every calendar year we go through... There are three matches we watch every single year. The first match being the Royal Rumble match. The Royal Rumble match is a great freaking match to watch because it's always unpredictable. You always want to see who's going to be the number one contender. Skipping the second match because that's the conclusion. The other match you watch is the Elimination Chamber because that's a very hectic match to watch. Like we said, it usually produces a new WWE champion, so we'd like to watch it and see. You know, maybe a, maybe someone will retain. Maybe you know it'll be a great. It's always a great match. But the third match we always watch is the main event of WrestleMania. So every WrestleMania main event that we've discussed throughout both podcasts is a match that we've watched. This match between Shawn Michaels and The Undertaker was no different. But Graham, there was something different about this WrestleMania match. Graham, what was different about Shawn Michaels versus The Undertaker at WrestleMania 2013? It was actually goddamn good. It was a great fucking match. 
match. There's a lot of good matches. There's some pretty good matches. Like you said, the Chamber is never usually disappointing. But this WrestleMania match was absolutely epic. And what did it start with, John? Well, before we get into that, let me just preface this with a lot of the SmackDown vs. Raw 2007 gameplay is very... Uh, very Stone Age, considering... Very questionable. Very, it's very different compared to what the WWE gaming uh, you know, reputation has become now. A lot of matches end in two minutes. A lot of these matches that we build and build and build end you know, very anticlimactically. Um, and they're just not fully entertaining. I mean, a lot of these matches that we have built as being great rivalries... I mean, we simulate a lot of them, but the ones we do watch, they're not that great. Ending very shortly, like we said, usually anticlimactically. But Graham, this match was actually—if if you saw—if you told me this match happened, I would—I'd pay money to see it because it was that good. Shawn Michaels, Undertaker, WrestleMania 2013. We, like you said earlier, this match was all about respect. Shawn Michaels didn't respect the Undertaker. Undertaker didn't respect Shawn Michaels, and the match starts off with Shawn Michaels walking square up to the Undertaker and smacking him right in the face. I mean, we didn't even know that was in Shawn Michaels' move set. Shawn Mi- and like this game doesn't allot move sets to heels and baby faces. Like Shawn Michaels' move set is Shawn Michaels' move set, and slapping someone in the face is something the Heartbreak Kid would never do. But as the top heel on Monday Night Raw, as the heel WWE Champion, to start off this WrestleMania main event, he walks up to the dead man and slaps him to the ground. And that, and literally, you guys should have seen it. We were playing a video game, and or watching a, a match in a video game, rather, and Graham and I started marking the hell out. Because we were ready. We were ready for this first time ever match. And Shawn Michaels starts off by slapping The Undertaker. And that was the only first of many Morikow moments in that matchup. Shawn Michaels hitting multiple switch of music. So coming up short every time. Undertaker even hit multiple tombstones, kicking out every time. Hitting a sweet shin music on Shawn Michaels, stealing his own finisher. And he kicks out anyway. It was absolutely incredible. Was that the finish of the match? That was the finish of the match. That was the finish of the match. spoiled it, Graham. God damn it. Well, I was going to say it anyway. (laughs) Well, you were going to say it. So the match was so great, like you said, because it started off with the slap. Undertaker hit two tombstones, and usually two finishing maneuvers in SVR 07. That's 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 it. Two two finishers is it. All right, but Shawn Michaels kicks out of both. Shawn Michaels utilizes the low blow throughout the entire match, but still can't put the Undertaker away. Finally, around the eight-minute mark of the match, a time one-on-one matches usually do not get to in this game. The Undertaker hits Shawn Michaels with the sweet chin music. The Undertaker super kicks Shawn Michaels in the corner and gets the one. Two, three. What a way to commence his premier WWE title reign. The greatest match we have ever witnessed, ever done in SmackDown vs. Raw 2007. So the era of the dead man kicks off at WrestleMania 2013, beating Shawn Michaels in a rematch of Backlash, but in a fatal four-way, a blockbuster, star-studded, talent-loaded fatal four-way matchup of vengeance between also WrestleMania rivals, Kurt Angle and Ric Flair, then a new champion is crowned, John, in the form of... Kurt Angle. Kurt Angle wins his seventh WWE Championship at Vengeance 2013. So, uh, just going back to what you said, 
The other WrestleMania main event for WrestleMania 2013 for the World Heavyweight Championship was Kurt Angle versus Ric Flair. That was SmackDown's main event. We drafted both Kurt Angle and Ric Flair, and Shawn Michaels, Undertaker, Kurt Angle, and Ric Flair, they were having a huge rivalry in the, in the early half of 2013, and Vengeance, the main event, was all four of them in a fatal four-way match for the WWE Championship, and Kurt Angle takes a WWE Championship from Shawn, from The Undertaker. Excuse me. After having to vacate the World Heavyweight Championship coming from SmackDown, having you know having been drafted to Raw, so we had the four-way wins a WWE Championship from The Undertaker in the Fatal 4 match of Vengeance, and that kicks off another, another very favorite feud of mine going into the summer, him versus Shawn freaking Michaels. One of the greatest feuds of all time in real life kicks off in our universe going into the summer, and it culminates in an epic encounter at SummerSlam with Lance Cade and Shawn Michaels' corner only six days removed from winning an Intercontinental Championship, Lance Cade is, Helps Shawn Michaels win the WWE title from Kurt Angle. Regains the gold in a great match at SummerSlam. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. And then going after SummerSlam, we're going into... Excuse me, I'm trying to you know, find my pay The Unforgiven pay-per-view. Yep. Where once again, a new champion is crowned in the form of Triple H. Triple freaking H. Back into the title picture, is he? So we go from WrestleMania where The Undertaker beats Shawn Michaels to Vengeance where Kurt Angle beats Ric Flair, Shawn Michaels, and The Undertaker to now we're doing Shawn Michaels, Kurt Angle. That's our rivalry for the summer. But going into Unforgiven, Triple H outlasts five other men and becomes a seven-time WWE Champion. Okay, so maybe it sounds random when we explain to you it like that. The title goes from The Undertaker to Shawn Michaels, or rather to Kurt Angle back to Shawn Michaels. So we have these... You know, prominent four figures in the main event scene. Ric Flair as well, who really came into his own as a very top-tier talent, main event level guy in 2013. So Triple H, okay, that sounds a little random. He hasn't held the belt in a while. He hasn't been in the main event. But actually, he has been. Because throughout 2013, another huge narrative that we have to talk about here, one of the greatest year-long feuds you've ever seen. Graham. So let's back up a little bit. Graham, John, Graham, Graham. you did this no better. I mean, we didn't even really book it. The game did. But you really prefaced this. You really wrapped it up no better than I could. So please do it. Graham, this, this I will say definitively, will, is my favorite rivalry of all time. And SmackDown vs. Raw 2007. And when we get through explaining this, you'll, you will know why. You'll know exactly why. So we come out of WrestleMania 2013... Undertaker's the champion, Shawn Michaels is his rival, and you got Kurt Angle and Ric Flair also in the title picture, but Triple H and The Rock, they're both on Monday Night Raw. Why aren't they in the title picture? Why? Because they're feuding with E3, alright? Triple H and The Rock are. They're tag-teaming. At Backlash, the match was Triple H and The Rock versus John Cena and Chris Benoit. Well, first they knocked off the team of Rob Van Dam and Kane at Backlash, before setting their sights on E3 going into the summer. Yes. And them, as well as the great Kali, lose to E3 at Vengeance, kind of showing some cracks within the E3 stable going into 2014. We'll get to that later. But they win. And it's in a rematch on Raw that summer that Triple H walks off on his partners, betrays both Kali and The Rock, showing signs of the most vindictive side of the game, a side we have not seen of Triple H in almost six years. Six years. A heel Triple H. But he's just showing signs at this point. Just showing signs. But from April, the night after WrestleMania, we have Triple H and The Rock teaming. And and I'll, I'll get straight to the point, guys. The reason why Triple H and The Rock 
is one of the greatest rivalries of all time is because it went from the night after Wrestle they were involved with each other from the night after WrestleMania 2013 up until the main event of WrestleMania 2014. But let's not get too ahead of ourselves. Alright, The Rock, so Triple H walks out on The Rock and Kali and they're fighting against E3 who is still running rampant. Remember, we started the we started E3 in 2010 and E3 is still running rampant. We're still looking for a team who can beat E3 and it won't be The Rock, Kali, and Triple H because Triple H walks out on The Rock and the Great Kali. We'll see, not to get too ahead of ourselves, but I think that's kind of where we're going here. The whole title picture surrounds, revolves around those two going into WrestleMania. And at SummerSlam, they face off for the first time ever, Triple H versus The Rock. The Rock emerges victorious, despite having the odds stacked against him with Ric Flair in Triple H's corner, who Triple H reunites with, a former Evolution running mate he reunites with following the feud with, um, you know, during, throughout his feud with The Rock. So, Triple H, not out of nowhere, really. He's had his sights set on the WWE title this entire time. Kind of a, a wild card, so to speak. Winning the belt back inside the Unforgiven pay-per-view. Inside the Unforgiven Elimination Chamber. Beats The Rock. Gets his win back at Taboo Tuesday. They are now tied one for one. So, in the meantime, Triple H goes on to defend against Kurt Angle, who beats Shawn Michaels in a rubber match at Survivor Series. An Iron Man match. Kurt Angle becomes a new number one contender in the meantime. Rock, in that period of time, goes on a feud with Ric Flair, who he knocks off at the New Year's Revolution pay-per-view. And we, we can't blow over this. I mean, even The Rock and Triple H weren't directly feuding, Ric Flair is in Triple H's back pocket. It's almost as if you go from feuding with Seth Rollins to feuding with Kane. Uh, or vice versa. Circa 2014. I mean, they were, they were, crony, they were running mates, they were buddies. So The Rock, uh, he wins at SummerSlam. Loses to Triple H at Taboo Tuesday for the WWE Championship. One on one, yep. One on one, and now he's now he's got a sight set on Ric Flair, who he will feud with up until early 2014. And he beats him in New Year's Revolution, the same pay per view. Kurt Angle beats Triple H in their initial one on one encounter to regain the gold as well. But his reign ends a mere three weeks later when Triple H regains the gold, beats Kurt Angle to become the new WWE Champion. And that sets forth an epic WrestleMania main event. Because the winner of the Royal Rumble was who, John? The great one, The Rock. The Rock went from feuding with Triple H in, in the summer of 2013 to feuding with Ric Flair in the fall and early months of 2013-2014. And then he wins the Royal Rumble the same night that Triple H beats Kurt Angle for the WWE Championship. And so we've got a WrestleMania event, ladies and gentlemen. Main event, ladies and gentlemen. It's Triple H versus The Rock, WrestleMania 2014. A match. Not the thing is when when you say one year in the making, it's not like Triple H called The Rock out or vice versa the night after WrestleMania 2013 said, "Hey, next year I want to face you." No, these guys had seeds planted as they were teaming together in early 2013, feuding together in the summer. The Rock feuded with uh, Triple H's crony while Triple H defended his championship, and they come back full circle at the main event of WrestleMania 2014, Triple H versus The Rock. Absolutely incredible. But we forgot to mention one little one little detail, one little, one little nugget, John. It was inside Hell in a Cell. Hell in a Cell at WrestleMania 2014 for the WWE Championship. And coming off one of the great... Okay, not one of... The greatest match of all time in Shawn Michaels versus... You know, Shawn Michaels versus Undertaker from WrestleMania 13. This match was bound to fall flat. 
And it did. The match wasn't really that good when we watched it, but still, the idea that, as you mentioned, John, a feud goes from a post-WrestleMania Raw to WrestleMania the next year was unprecedented, absolutely amazing, and could not have been better booked. No, okay, it really could not. The thing is, we had no idea. We had no idea. Like, the night after WrestleMania and SmackDown vs. Raw 2007 is really the wild, wild west. You, 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 book the, you have an idea of what you want to do for Backlash, but everything else is, you know, it's still in its early stages of development. We threw The Rock and Triple H together because they were two baby faces at the time. We said, you know, these are two baby faces not currently in the main event scene. The main event scene was Shawn Michaels versus The Undertaker. These guys aren't in the main event scene right now. Let's put them together to, you know, feud with Rob Van Dam and Kane, as you said, and then eventually put them uh, put them together going against E3. Of course, we had no idea that they would lose to E3. Then you brought the idea of turning Triple H heel. We had no idea Triple H would win the WWE Championship inside the unpredictable elimination chamber. We had no idea that it would work out that The Rock would beat Ric Flair, Triple H's crony, and their rivalry. And we had absolutely no idea that on the same night Triple H would both win the WWE Championship at the Royal Rumble, back from Kurt Angle, and also, by happenstance, for the first time ever, The Rock wins the Royal Rumble match, and that sets up WrestleMania 2014, The Rock versus Triple H. Literally, like, I I could have pitched that idea, but it wouldn't have been as satisfying as it just happening the way it did. Could not have agreed more. But, in the end, it was not a feel-good story with The Rock conquering the game. It was Triple H, who emerged victorious, Still the WWE Champion inside straight and sane structure at WrestleMania. And the very next night, Mr. Money in the Bank, William Regal, cashes in, beats Triple H, but it's all null and void. It doesn't matter. The referee counted the three too fast. A lot like Jericho and Triple H in 2000. That goes under the radar. In the meantime, Ric Flair, Triple H's crony, fugitive William Regal. That's kind of irrelevant. I wanted to mention that, mm-hmm. though. But Triple H's next big challenge comes in the form of Mark Henry and Matt Hardy. Two of Raw's newest acquisitions. But I want to mention this too before we go any further. That you mentioned earlier that Rock and Triple H was not planned one year out. It just happened to unfold the way it did. But a match we did plan one year out, which had never been before done. Not that we booked it a year out. Not only that, we announced in the game that we are doing this match, title or no title, hurt or not hurt, doesn't matter, face, heel, tweener. It's happening in the main event of WrestleMania next year. If it's not over the title, and it's going to be a first-ever WrestleMania main event that's not for a championship, I could not have cared less. It's John Cena versus Stone Cold Steve Austin. In the weeks leading up to WrestleMania 14, where we were so focused and busy... 2014. 2014, that's what I said. 2014, in in the weeks leading up to WrestleMania 2014, E3, the the tension was being teased... The cracks were being shown within the group. And finally, the night after WrestleMania, John Cena, or rather the other way around, it was Chris Benoit and Bobby Lashley cutting ties with John Cena. But coming to the quote-unquote aid of Cena was the debuting Stone Cold Steve Austin, who in the 14 years of our SmackDown vs. Raw 2007 GM mode had never even appeared once, let alone wrestled. For him to show up on the post-WrestleMania Raw was unpredictable. It was unprecedented. It was a long time coming. Mm-hmm. And on that night, without saying a single word, sent the biggest and most impactful message he possibly could by laying out not only Chris Benoit and Bobby Lashley, but also John Cena, pointing the WrestleMania sign and signifying that in next year's WrestleMania, WrestleMania 2015, it would be John Cena 
versus Stone Cold Steve Austin. So we got through a lot right there, but essentially what you need to know is that from 2013 to 2014, The Rock and Triple H tore it up. I mean, they're, they're the story of that calendar year. But we come into 2014, we come into the, we come into the most recent year, and what happens? Four long years after E3 debuted the night after WrestleMania 2010, they break up. John Cena, who has been who was a heel for four years, turned babyface as Chris Benoit and Bobby Lashley. They don't beat him up. I mean, they break ties with him verbally, saying, "You know, you you you've been costing us matches. You're hindering our careers. We don't want E3. E3 is done. E3 is over." And at the end of the night, they come to attack him. But Stone Cold Steve Austin, the man who says he wants to face John Cena next year at WrestleMania, saves him, but then he lays out John Cena. So we've got a great story going on, and John Cena, who is now a babyface, has to face his demons in the form of E3. He first beats Chris Benoit at Backlash one-on-one before beating him again, or rather they have a tag team match. It's E3's Chris Benoit and Bobby Lashley versus John Cena. Let me explain this, let me explain this, because what... The narrative that we've been telling you guys over the last hour and change now is that John Cena and this man who I'm about to talk about have had the greatest rivalry of all time. But after this man who I'm about to reveal saw E3 turn on John Cena, he saw no better time to get rid of E3 forever. All right? So E3 lost their leader, John Cena. It was, they, were, they were weaker than ever, which is Chris Benoit and Bobby Lashley. And so this man decided to team up with his rival, his longtime rival, to defeat Chris Benoit and Bobby Lashley and put E3 to bed. And that man is Kurt Angle. Yeah. And they were successful in beating E3 at Backlash. At Backlash. John Cena and Kurt Angle versus Chris Benoit and Bobby Lashley. John Cena and Kurt Angle win. So John Cena... But is that is that the end of Johnson's E3 troubles? Not even close. His road to redemption, his new changing character, proves to be the best thing for the leader of the C-Nation. Beating E3 in a tag team match at Backlash. Beating Chris Benoit in their first ever one-on-one match at Vengeance. Beating him again in a last-man standing match at SummerSlam. Falling short of winning the WWE title Unforgiven, granted. But at Tavo Tuesday, he beats Bobby Lashley. Again, another former demon of his who he has to overcome before going on to face Stone Cold Steve Austin for the WWE title at WrestleMania. So we'll get to that when we get to that. But in the meantime, let's talk about the WWE Championship. So Now you alluded to, you said, once Triple H beat The Rock, The Rock didn't get a Cinderella story at WrestleMania 2014. Well, who's going to face the game? I mean, I feel like we've done everything with Triple H. We've done Everybody on Raw. We've done all of his rivalries. Who are we going to do? Well, how, does anyone hear that, that, that noise? It sounds like the phone's ringing. Who, who's calling... It sounds like 2009 is calling. Mark Henry and Matt Hardy come back to Monday Night Raw after a long tenure on SmackDown. So they come back to Monday Night Raw to challenge the game of Triple H in a triple threat match at Backlash 2014. All right, for the WWE Championship. Now, I, I, I made the 2009 reference because, of course, that was a WrestleMania 2009 main event, Matt Hardy versus Mark Henry. But we bring them back into the fold. They're both baby faces to take on Triple H and uh, to take on Triple H for the WWE Championship. And, Graham, I don't think we were quite expecting what was going to happen. I don't think we were expecting this at all. It was Mark Henry coming out on top with his second WWE Championship. He 
dominated the year of 2009 as WWE Champion. Undefeated all the while. And he kind of really faded off in obscurity throughout 2010 and 2011. Coming back to Raw many years later to reclaim the throne. And he did just that by winning back the WWE title. And he really, I don't want to say broke out in 2014, but... He really suffered a career resurgence of sorts yep. that year. He turned heads. He turned heads. Absolutely. Because, Graham, I'm looking at the title history right now, and we weren't expecting. We weren't expecting Mark Henry. When Mark Henry beat... I mean, I'll, I'll be I'll be the first one to say. After Triple H beat The Rock at WrestleMania inside Hell in a Cell, I had no idea what was next. I felt like we had done everything with Triple H. And so when you had pitched the idea, well, how about we do Matt Hardy and Mark Henry versus Triple H and Triple Threat at Backlash? I thought... Well, that doesn't sound too exciting. I mean, Matt Hardy and Mark Henry, they're kind of old news. I mean, which we, we they had their they they peaked, you know, in the later half of, you know, the 2000s. And now I feel like there's nothing a lot we can do with them. Mark Henry wins the triple threat at Backlash, and boy does he go on a tear. So from that point forward, he knocks off Triple H to retain the WWE Championship of Vengeance. At SummerSlam, he beats the unstoppable Bobby Lashley, who retains the WWE Championship. And then inside Unforgiven, successfully defends the WWE Championship. Not unprecedented, Batista did the same thing in 06. Mm-hmm. But among a very elite group of guys to retain the title inside Elimination Chamber. Mark Henry, still the WWE Champion. So at that point, he meets his biggest foe to date at Taboo Tuesday in the form of the another superstar who suffered a career resurgence that year, Booker T, his former tag team partner, Flexin Texan tag team partner, as John as John alluded to him. The Flexin Texans, Booker T and Mark Henry, they go into a rivalry. As Booker T turned heel, uh, in around that time, turning on Kane, I believe. So Booker T and Mark Henry, or turning on Rey Mysterio, I apologize. Rey Mysterio. So Booker T and Mark Henry are feuding into Taboo Tuesday, and Booker T beats Mark Henry. Beats him to win his first ever WWE title. His first ever WWE championship, but that was only a hiccup. That was only a hiccup for Mark Henry because it was only weeks later that Mark Henry won the championship back. At Survivor Series 2014, so the very next night, we make it official that for the first time ever in New Year's Revolution, we're having a five-man scramble match for the most prestigious prize in the business. It's Mark Henry, it's Booker T, it's John Cena, it's Bobby Lashley, and it's the wild card of Viva Raza. You talk about 2009, you can't have this 2009 rehash without Eddie Guerrero. Eddie Guerrero, who had beaten Rey Mysterio in a rivalry in 2014. They were having a rivalry throughout that summer. Eddie Guerrero beat Rey Mysterio to cement his spot as the fifth man in the scramble match. So we have, like you said, we have Henry, Cena, Lashley, Booker T, and Eddie Guerrero, the five men who will start 2015 in our, in our game. They start 2015 as the five men vying for the title and who wins but the wild card, Eddie Guerrero? Eddie Guerrero regains the WWE Championship, and he's going and he starts off 2015 as the man. The man I least expected to win the WWE Championship, becoming a three-time, a tres-time WWE Champion, Champion, and New Year's Revolution. So he is the newest roadblock for either Mark Henry or John Cena, having a number one contenders match on Raw between Henry and Cena. Cena wins going on the Royal Rumble for the WWE Championship. And the big narrative here is this, John, that if Cena can beat Eddie Guerrero at the Royal Rumble, not only will he win his 10th in record-setting WWE title, it's going to give him the WWE title going into his 
long confirmed match with Stone Cold Steve Austin in the main event of WrestleMania. So Cena and Austin, which was already confirmed, set in stone one year in advance, could now be for the WWE title. And Graham, John Cena beat Eddie Guerrero at the Royal Rumble to become the 10-time WWE champion, setting up the match that we'd wanted to see since we started playing John Cena, Stone Cold Steve Austin, WWE Championship. Retaining the title against Eddie Guerrero on Raw inside a steel cage, Cena goes into WrestleMania as the WWE Champion against the debuting, a man who has never stepped foot in a WWE ring before, the Texas Rattlesnake, the toughest SOB, Stone Cold Steve Austin. And the performance, I don't think any of us saw coming. No, not at all. We Like we said, we watched this match, and Stone Cold Steve Austin dominated John Cena. John Cena mounted no offense whatsoever. It took two Stone Cold Stunners, and Stone Cold Steve Austin pinned the 10-time champion at WrestleMania to become a first-time WWE champion. So we go from from Edge in 2001 to Stone Cold Steve Austin in 2015. Absolutely amazing. And the big tie here, the big... The big connection is that Edge won his, the WWE title in his first ever match. Obviously, everyone was having their first ever match that night on the first ever episode of Raw that we ever did on April 1st, 2001. Now, fast forward 14 years later, year 15 kicks off, or rather ends 2014, the year of our 14th year, with Stone Cold as the WWE champion, also wrestling his first match and winning the WWE title. So, John, we're celebrating 15 years of SmackDown vs. Raw 2007, general manager mode for the PlayStation 2, and we're not done yet. We might be done sooner rather than later, who knows, but we were really off to a strong start. We'll talk about that final year, maybe in a possible part three down the road. I just wanted to talk about going from, you know, the first ever Raw, April 1st, 01, to WrestleMania 2015. We're not done yet. I know we teased it in our last podcast. We already have continued on. We've already done Backlash 2015. We're not going to talk about it here. I feel like to be kind of anticlimactic to the end on a, the, the Aftermath pay-per-view. Yeah. We'll talk about that full year or possible final run. I feel like that's a podcast all in and of itself. Yes, yes. With everything we have going on and that everything that will go on in the next year. So, John, it's been fun doing this. It's been great. I mean, I, I hope everyone listening has enjoyed this as much as I have talking about this. I mean, uh, the only thing I can say is it, it may sound amazing, but... I really wish all of you guys were able to witness that the the magic that we've created in playing this game. I mean, I've had I've had as much fun as I've ever been a wrestling fan. I've had as much fun as I've ever had playing this game with you, Graham. And I, I just wish that people could not only experience this but see what we're talking about firsthand. I mean, of course, we can't get into everything. We know we speed through this a little bit, but uh, the the fact that we've been able to witness just such great, great stuff out of this game is is unreal. It's incredible. I mean, every memory, every feud, every match that we've talked about, every title change that we've referenced throughout this near two-hour, well over two-and-a-half-hour podcast, considering, you know, part all one. things considered, parts one and part two, that, that all things considered, I'm just reliving every match and moment as they happen in my mind and talking about it from July 9th, 2011, to July 16th, July 17th, as we recorded this, my favorite day of the year, by the way, <laughs> my five-year fan anniversary of my uh, of my favorite match of all time, CM Punk versus Santa Money Bank. So we go five years in the making from playing the game here, camping 
your house, my dad's place, my dad's old place, everywhere yeah. from hell and high water we've played this fucking game, you know, up and down the card every, you know, every time possible from 2 in the afternoon to 2 in the morning to 5 in the morning. We've stayed up on hours on end just to play this game, and I do not regret a single second of it, my friend. It's nope. been a lot of fun. Gotta thank Sean, of course, my bookings partner in crime. Gotta thank the great creative members and that fucking PlayStation 2 I'm looking at right there, <laughs> that team that is booking these matches. I know it's all simulated, but that's a conspiracy. They're booking it. I don't know how. You can't book 15 years. You can't simulate 15 years and get the amazing results no. that we have. I know it's our own brain power for the most part. We, I attribute 95% of the success of this game to us, but... Five percent, the good old folks inside that you know classic dinosaur that is the PlayStation Two that is still functioning. But, you I don't know, know some, how. I don't know how it's still on. I have no idea. It's nearly a decade old at this point. It's still functioning by some miracle. I got it's that. Going. I got that PlayStation Two in two thousand and five. Get out of here. Two thousand five. That thin thing. That thin thing. Amazing. Still looking as sexy as ever. <laughs> and I look forward to continuing to playing it. As we move forward with SmackDown versus Raw 2007, I don't know what the future holds. John doesn't know what the future holds. Nobody does. But I'm looking forward to finding it out. I do know one thing, Graham. We're going to be at NXT TakeOver SummerSlam and Monday Night Raw. No, in a sleep <laughs> down. Brooklyn in a month's time. And Part that, two. And that is something I'm looking forward to. So that's what I'm looking forward to as well. So obviously in that time, I'm sure we, we hung out two weeks ago. Yep. We hung out last week. Hopefully I'll see you for the draft. And- oh, oh, that's another thing too. So by all, you know, by the end of July, we will have hung out, let's see, July 1st. Yep. July 9th. Yep. July 15th, 16th, 17th, <laughs> and possibly 19th. 19th. That's six days in the matter of a month, which, oh, six days out of 30 for many people, maybe not be most. But we usually hang out, like, maybe once or twice a month. Yep. Like, I know during, like, um, winter break, we only we, we hung out, like, four times. So those that was over the course of, like, a month and a half. Mm-hmm. But in the summer, we usually only hang out, like, once or twice a month. A month yeah. Because we're usually either working or whatever. We only watch Raw once or twice a month together, yep. whatever. So, and we, we, you know, we have four months home, so it's, it makes more sense to do it over that period of time, yeah. but just, it really worked out this month with hanging out on the first, hanging out for UFC 200, hanging out this entire weekend in the beautiful Slaugerties, New York, yep. and hopefully, possibly for the draft, this upcoming Tuesday. Everyone, give me a little prayer that I can get work off <laughs> on July 19th, this upcoming Tuesday, the day this, this podcast will be out. I need everyone to say... Uh, Patrick, who's the guy I'm asking to cover for me, everyone say it together. I'm going to say it once and then you repeat with me. Patrick, please, by God, cover for John. One, two, three. Patrick, Patrick please, please, by cover God, for cover for John. You need to. You need to. So we have all these you know, hashtags going around these days. Mm-hmm. It seems like every day there's a new hashtag. And for good reason. Um, you know, Unfortunately, we have Pray for Dallas. We got Pray for Orlando. Okay, I'm just kidding on this, people, so don't get pissy at me. You know, it's a PC world, but hashtag pray for John. Pray for John. Pray for John to get Tuesday off. By God, Patrick, give John the day off. Give John the night off so he can watch the WWE draft with yours truly. So obviously, beyond that point, um, we're not going to record a new show this week. Mm-hmm. I'll talk about the draft, all that shit, on the show on Thursday. Maybe by myself or somebody else who knows. But uh, this podcast is dropping Tuesday the 19th. 
And obviously, without a doubt, SummerSlam is a little over a month away. I believe it's five weeks from this weekend, from this Sunday as we talked. It's it's Sunday. So we got five weeks. Obviously, needless to say, we will be hanging out at some other point between now and SummerSlam weekend. We're going to take over. SummerSlam and Raw, hopefully. Subject to change. Yep, all, yep. A little pop. It's looking like all three. Ooh, hopefully, hopefully, hopefully. So I'm, I'll be staying in the uh, John Napolitano residence yep. all weekend long. And obviously, like I said, so the, the point I'm trying to make is that before then, I will be seeing you. And therefore, you guys will be hearing the soothing voice <laughs> of John Knapp once again here in the podcast. Right here. Only here. Thumb up. Thanks, McFoley. <laughs> on WrestleRant Radio. There so, John, go. before we close out this amazing podcast, probably one of the best we've ever done, uh, any plugs to the people? Hey guys, follow me on Twitter at jnapsringwrap, J-N-A-P-S-R-I-N-G-W-A-R-A-P, excuse me. And uh, yeah, guys, just keep on trucking. Uh, I hope to talk to you guys, hear from you guys, talk to you guys before SummerSlam. And uh, I hope I hope the draft this Tuesday, the night that you guys will be listening to this, is as epic as everyone's expecting. It's time to shake things up again. Yeah, as if I love that they use that as if Vince had said that about, recently. Yeah, no, <laughs> that's so. It's from like oh four. It's from like literally like eleven or twelve years ago. Yeah. It's so funny. So on that note, guys, follow along with our journeys and adventures through SmackDown versus Raw 2007 general manager mode as we truck through 2015 in the game. For me at WrestleRain on the Twitter. For at JNAP's Ring Wrap on the Twitter as well. Follow us on Twitter. Check out the post. Check out the podcast. It's great shit. Check out, um, hopefully, another upcoming installment of John's Jargon. I on the apologize website. about all that. You know, summer is a tough time, you know, with all the work going on and everything. Very understandable, but, my friend. But uh, I'm hoping I'm hoping to get something up soon. I gotta, I just got to hunker down and do it. Got to hunker down and do it. Hunker down and <laughs> do it, he says. So on that note, as well, I plugged it on Friday. Last Friday is by the time you guys listen to this. On the PC road on SmackDown, which I was thinking about, and I'm thinking, you know, now that SmackDown's going live, I feel like he's got some points. Uh, so I reread the article, and I'm like, this is more relevant <laughs> now than ever. So it was amazing. So check out all the past pieces at nextairwrestling.net, the very website you're listening to the show on, and go to Comments Corner, go to the right side under Categories, John's Jargon, every John's past jargon. installment. Quickly approaching the two-year anniversary oh my of goodness. that amazing hit column. All right, all right well, we got we to gotta start cooking, then. We got to hit the kitchen. <laughs> we got to start cooking with some more pieces, then. As SummerSlam quickly approaches. So on that note, guys, we're at Gene Knapp's Ring Wrap on the Twitter. I'm at WrestleRant Graham G.S. Matthews, and we'll catch you fine folks down the road. Woo! Yeah.